This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Monday, Neonatology Review Podcast, back with another week of episodes. This week mm-hmm. is going to be fun. Daphna, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm I'm excited. You know, we talk about EPO a lot in our unit, so I'm glad that we yeah, I have think this it is something this that, week. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this is a very interesting subject, I think, because I have worked in many hospitals and, and it's like, if you work in a hospital that uses EPO, you're familiar. If you work in a hospital that doesn't use EPO, you mm-hmm. are clueless, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, I worked initially with a hospital where we didn't use EPO. So I, I was not familiar with much of it, especially as a resident. Um, and then in fellowship, we did use EPO and it's like, all right, like now I'm familiar, but it's, it's really depending on where you work. So um, a few housekeeping things uh, to uh, get off uh, to, to, uh, take off the table. Number one, as we've mentioned on the main incubator podcast, CME credits are now available. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to find the link to the CME survey on these episode uh, webpage, uh, which are linked in the description or that you can find at www.the-incubator.org. Um, other questions we've had, uh, people are asking us whether the slides subscription is separate from the podcast subscription, as we've mentioned prior. They are. We haven't found a good way technologically to bundle the two together and just make it one. So we apologize for that. Um, but yeah, so 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 you do. So if if you see this on the website, do not be surprised. And like we've said before, it helps us cover our a lot of our overhead. But mm-hmm. if you have any issues uh, getting access to these slides and you cannot make the payment, let it just send us and send us an email. I, like I said before, I will literally like put all these powerpoints, put them in an email, and send them your way. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, and thank you to everybody who has subscribed. Uh, this this really helps us a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, EPO. So another thing before we begin. This week, we're going to talk about, I guess, the official title of this week is erythropoiesis stimulating agents, right? Because we're going to talk about EPO. A lot of studies have looked at darbipoietin, which is another stimulating agent. So EPO, darby. ESAs all refer to the same group of, mm-hmm. of molecules that are stimulating erythropoiesis. So they're used interchangeably, EPO, ESAs, and we'll tell you when we talk about Darby specifically. Okay, now with that, let's go. Um, oh, I'm supposed to start, sorry. So That's the right. history of EPO, there's not much. <laughs> there is not much. The only interesting things I found was that in 1905, um, there's... Um, this this French uh, physician called Paul Carnot, who comes from a very prestigious French family, who's I think I think his uncle or his great uncle was like the French president, um, and was famously a president that was assassinated. So this is this last name is famous anyway, but he proposed that the idea that a hormone might regulate the production of red blood cells. And after conducting some experiments on rabbits and subjecting them to bloodletting, as we've said before, Mm -hmm. they just love to to bloodletting back (laughs) in the day. 
Paul Carnot and his graduate student, Clotilde Camille de Flandre, which is not always that we see a female scientist uh, this early. Uh, so I thought I would give her a shout out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Attributed uh, an increase in the red blood cells in rabbits subjects to hemotropic factor called hemopoietin. So in 1905, they saw this this phenomenon and and reported it. So that was that was uh, that was interesting. And then the human erythropoietin was first isolated from the urine of anemic patient in 1977. So it's a very recent, obviously, uh, a, a discovery and an advance. And the gene was later isolated in 1983. Um, and then a year later, in 1984 two groups succeeded in cloning the epogene and expressing it in Chinese hamster ovaries, uh, enabling the development of recombinant human epo as a drug. So yeah, this is it for my part. Yeah. So the episode's <laughs> not over, people. Just the episode's not over. <laughs> <laughs> We're not shortchanging you. Historical, historical just, yeah, context. data. Well, I thought it was important just to talk a little bit what does endogenous um, erythropoietin do? So we know even why we are using it um, as a medication. So um, endogenous erythropoietin, we know, is essential for bone marrow erythropoiesis. And hypoxia induction of epoproduction um, provides um, for important erythropoietic response um, to ischemic stress. And like we talked about last week, it's even... Um, the initial uh, exposure to oxygen, which which reduces EPO um, innately, which leads to the development of anemia of prematurity. But it works in the opposite way as well. So um, in babies, in fetuses, for example, who live in a relatively hypoxic environment, but that exists is exacerbated by, say, placental insufficiency, um, we see erythropoiesis and um, we can sometimes see polycythemia in those babies. So very much driven um, by um, what type of uh, oxygen is going on in the environment. We know that epigen, uh, erythropoietin production mirrors the sites of erythropoiesis as well. It seems to first be expressed briefly in neural crest cells to stimulate yolk sac erythropoiesis during very early gestation. Uh, later, the liver becomes the site of EPO production until the last trimester when the kidney interstitial tubular cells become the predominant site of epigen production. In times of hypoxia, um, actually um, erythropoietin production is driven by um, the HIF, HIF molecules, um, which upregulate the expression. Erythropoietin acts by binding to its cell surface receptor, uh, which is found on a lot of tissues, which we'll talk about, but is expressed in the highest levels on the erythroid progenitor cells. And so it binds to, like I said, the, the progenitor cells progenitor cells. And after binding to these cells, it promotes their survival, it promotes their growth, and then differentiation of these cells to mature erythrocytes. Um, so this is how it supports uh, reduction of degrees of uh, anemia. Um, the receptor is also found on many types of cells, including neural cells, endothelial cells, fat cells, bone cells, and both cardiac and skeletal muscle uh, myoblasts. 
And the way it works in some of these other um, areas, um, it stimulates um, endothelial cells um, by activating um, E-NOS and nitric oxide production, um, particulate reduced oxygen levels to help modulate vascular tone and blood pressure um, in the endothelial cells. Um, when it comes to muscle, animal models of erythropoietin have shown to have uh, enough erythropoietin or excessive uh, um, supplemental erythropoietin um, have a protective effect in ischemic injury and particularly for the cardiac myocardium, um, improving cardiac function after coronary occlusion and improving neovascularization um, in animals with chronic heart failure. And skeletal muscle, it increases myoblast proliferation and their survival. Um, numerous animal studies suggest that erythropoietin improves glucose tolerance, it reduces insulin resistance, and helps regulate fat mass accumulation. It's been shown to have effects in wound healing and bone remodeling, both in normal bone metabolism, but also after fractures. Um, and then when it comes to neuroprotection and why it was even thought to, to be used in that uh, mechanism, um, uh, erythropoietin is induced again by hypoxia. So uh, it's also induced by abnormal hypoxia in neurons and astrocytes. Um, animal models show that lack of epigen in animals should reduce neuronal proliferation and increase susceptibility to glutamate damage and to stroke. And if you'll remember from our discussions about HIE, um, glutamate damage is one of the hallmarks um, of the um, neuronal injury pathway um, after hypoxic ischemic uh, insult. They've also demonstrated that preconditioning with epigen um, to animals reduced ischemic injury and that epigen reduced neuronal apoptosis in the face of cytokine-mediated inflammation. So um, for us this week, uh, the major um, mechanisms that we are using or we're going to talk about um, are um, the ESAs in the face of anemia um, and ESAs as a potential neuroprotective agent. <sighs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm scared of uh, having to, uh, to go into, uh, into those topics, but let's do it. <laughs> We can do it. We're going to do yeah, it. Yeah, of course we can do it. All of right. course. See you tomorrow, okay. buddy. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphne and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at nicupodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.